It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. My guest today is an unrelenting advocate for the underserved. He is an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and educational leader who has been spreading a message of hope for over 20 years. He is the founder of Extreme Consulting Group and the co-chairman of the Black Business Network, where he works to develop educate and coach leaders to maximize their community impact through awareness, advocacy, and service. And he is the director of PD Math, Science, and Technology Academy, a charter school in Bishopville, South Carolina, where he is passionate about seeing all students succeed through quality education and a supportive environment. Please welcome Keith Bailey. Thank you, Nancy. It's great to be here and always great to uh, speak with you and uh, uh, be on a platform with you. So thank you for having me. We've had some fun over the years. I think we spoke together at uh, ASCD, but I can't remember the year. And uh, (laughs) we've done some work together over the years. So I'm thrilled that you could be here. And you were actually on uh, my uh, show last year when it was an internet TV show. So anyone who wants to go back and search through the through, through the archives, it's at nancysula.com. Scroll down and you can see the shows and find Keith Bailey. So Keith, you seek opportunities to advocate for the underserved at every turn. Tell me about one of the most rewarding experiences you have had. So Nancy, that's a tough question because um, it seems as if I have several things that continue to motivate me uh, every day. So, uh, and just hindsight, and I'm and, and I'm going to answer your question. But I always, I, I've been uh, telling uh, those in my circle that at my age, you can never just answer a question. Everything comes with a story. <laughs> oh, and you are uh, you are the quintessential storyteller. So, well, so go for it. You you, well, you round uh, about, and I'll follow you. Okay. So if I get off on a tangent, you just have to reel me in. But um, you know, wow, just looking at uh, the students that we serve here every day, Nancy, um, I could just, you know, pick several students and just think about their responses to what we've established here at PD. And that becomes the uh, fuel for me to come here every day and to fight through obstacles, uh, fight through whatever politics that may, there may be uh, in the world of education and yes, there are politics, uh, but to fight through those things to ensure that students, underserved students, overlooked students have opportunities. So uh, right now we have our first graduating class and I can look at all of those faces of those students that are graduating right now uh, and listening to um, how they have embraced uh, going through school and going through, um, you know, their secondary uh, education, and now at the point that they're going to go into college, many of them thought when we look back several years uh, that they were not, you know, on track for college or that that was a part of their story. But we were able to partner with students and families that uh, now we have students graduating. So I think about those students. I think about uh, the students in the car line when we see them and uh, you have those parents that'll uh, you know, pull you to the side and say, Mr. Bailey, thank you so much for putting this school together. And wow. those comments, Nancy, yeah, that uh, you, can't, you can't put a price tag on that because to know that you are an answer to a family's prayers or uh, a family's concern, that that's that's really humbling, really humbling. And take us back, like how did you go about starting PD Math Science and Technology Academy? So that is a a, a long story. So we will we'll give you the short version. <laughs> but uh, I was just, yeah, I give you the Cliff Notes version. I um, was just talking about this yesterday. Uh, I will be 48 this year, and you know, so 50 is breathing on my on my shoulders, and so it, it, it feels like I blinked, and 
it's been 10 years with the school. So next year will be our 10th year. Uh, we started, our inaugural year was 2013. But prior to that, it was 10 years of research, pulling a planning team together, creating the charter for what is now PD. But uh, to give you a little story, I moved back to South Carolina in 2002. And my parents, they have, uh, they lead a church here in our local area. And they were contemplating how could they address some of the social issues that they've seen with students uh, in education. Many of the students are graduating and some of them were struggling to read. And they wanted to know how can we be a part of this solution. And so uh, they uh, pulled me to the side and said, hey, we want to, to start a, a, a private school. And they wanted to know how they can get that done. And so we started looking at the numbers and looking at the costs and looking at how much parents would have to pay. And I said, uh, have you thought about a charter school? And they said, well, what, what is a charter school? And so we went through, explained what it was, and so long story short, they said, make it happen. <laughs> and so, so when you look at your mom and you look at your family and they're telling you to make things happen, uh, there's really no choice. So at that time, I had started my consultancy. Uh, prior to that, I was in recruiting. I was doing C-level uh, uh, recruitment for accountants. I then went into identity management uh, with biometrics. I was doing recruiting there. And so I started to do my own consultancy. So hence, Extreme Consulting was birthed out of that. Uh, but it was during the time where we had the uh, market crash. And uh, so it was a little tough starting a, a, a business during that time. Around that time is when this project, which is now PD, uh, came, to, came to light. And so I put all of my time in it. I pulled a team together, educators, entrepreneurs, uh, politicians. Uh, moms and pops, we came together and we said, if we had a school, what would it look like? And uh, long story short, we went up to the state. It was approved in 2013. We opened our doors with 50 little minds <laughs> and, and PD started. So, And so it's, it's that original group of students you, out of your, that original group, you now have your first graduating class. Yes. Yes. The first graduating class. And uh, we actually started, Nancy, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade was our original charter. And we were going to go back to the uh, or send the students back to the local school district. But the parents so enjoyed what we built, they requested that we go back to uh, the state and ask for uh, high school. Well, we said, oh, well, let's just try middle school. You know, we don't want to tackle high school. So we went back to the state. We tackled, uh, wrote the charter for middle school and was awarded. Parents came back. Uh, we want our, our kids to stay here. Let's uh, go after a high school charter. And so we moved from K through six to now, as you see, K through 12. It's, and it's awesome. And we have been fortunate enough to be working with you along the way on various projects, um, including the latest, which is the Capstone Project, where your seniors are given a problem-based task, essentially very open-ended to find something about which they are passionate and use a design process to move through and come up with a solution or idea. So that's just winding down, I believe, right? It is. And it was a new idea, but it was something that uh, Shanae and I, which is one of your um, your uh, partners there, employees there with your, your company. And we love Sinead, by the way. So I just put that plug in there. So <laughs> <we>. <laughs> and yeah. now, you know, she was the director of educational equity. She's now the acting vice president of consulting services and wow. soon will take over that role completely um, with the unfortunate departure of our current um, vice president of consulting services. But she's headed to Europe, so we, we can't stop her. But we, we, love, we love our Shanae. Well, that, that's, that's exactly right. And, and so do we, because Shanae, uh, if you were to talk with her, she's been a part of my, uh, so I'm, I'm a visionary. So Shanae is able to keep up with all of my thoughts. <laughs> what if we do this? And what if we do try this method? And she's able to uh, help us 
provide a, a structure and a framework for that. Hence, the capstone project was developed. And that's one thing I would say, Nancy, that we've learned uh, from you and your group over the years is that creativity should be a part of the conversation when you talk about education. And oftentimes, you know, I've learned that educators feel that they have to stay in the box. But what we've learned uh, through your uh, group, uh, IDE, is how to really eliminate the box and create structures that fit for the current students, the current situations. And so that's been rewarding. And hence, the Capstone Project was created to allow our seniors the opportunity to take all of the knowledge that they've learned and apply it to some project that they want to advocate for. Uh, we talked, to, we learned that language from you all as well, being an advocate, um, or creating awareness or taking action on some type of uh, problem. Uh, Shanae and I uh, worked together, um, mostly Shanae, uh, came up with the, looking at the United Nations 17 sustainable goals and how relevant that is now when we look at what's happening uh, across the globe with uh, Ukraine, yes. Russia. So, yes. so looking at things globally is, is very relevant. And so students are able to take that and say, how can they add to the conversation, right? We talked about that. How can we help students develop the language to have effective conversation in these real world problems? And so that's what students are doing right now. Uh, they're really picking up steam right now with that. And so we're just really excited uh, to see how that uh, uh, comes to, to fruition. So. And you also offer dual, dual enrollment, right? In other words, your students are coming out with uh, an AA degree or college credits. How does that work? Absolutely. So we partner with our local technical schools, Central Carolina Technical College, and so many of our seniors are taking dual enrollment credits. So they will graduate not only with a high school diploma, but they will also graduate with college credit. And then we have about three to four of our students that would actually finish college courses and come out with a high school diploma and an associate's degree. So we're really excited about that. And I know that you are a man of God and have great faith, which I love about you too. Uh, so are you a pastor within the community where the school is? Yes, so I've been pastoring here since 2002. So the school is in Bishopville. My church organization is in Hartsville, which is adjacent to Bishopville. But the school is actually housed on the property of a sister church. So I actually oversee both of the churches, but I only pastor one of them. So technically, yes, in the community of the school. So many of these people I know, they know me outside of school. They know me uh, from an array of things that I've done, including pastoring and uh, other community events that we pull, pull together. So yeah, so it's really interesting that sometimes people don't know how to address me. So... <laughs> They pull out different titles and I'm like, just call me Keith, just call me Mr. Bailey, it's fine. And that's because we are well invested in making sure that this community uh, has what it needs. And that's what I love. And I, and I was picking up earlier when you said about starting the school, you know, our parents were asking for, that actually came out of your work in the community then as a pastor. Like, you know your community and you're addressing the community's needs from every angle, which is really powerful. You know, it speaks of that need for us to look more for total community services. Uh, Nancy, uh, you know, that's a, that's a very good point. I don't know any other way to live. You know, if you are not relevant in your generation, then you're just existing. You're just a consumer. And the way I'm built is, how do I leave a mark on this earth that cannot be erased? How do I add to the story of humanity? And I know that sounds, you know, a big picture, but hey, how do I add to this story in my community? My world is my community. 
And I believe that everyone is put on this earth uh, for a reason. There's there are no mistakes. And so just as you, Nancy, have you have this drive to help reform education that I feel, you know, that comes from a place like that's greater than you. Otherwise, and I've heard some of your stories with all of the obstacles you faced, all of the uh, uh, criticism I'm sure you faced with trying to come against the status quo, that's yeah. not an easy thing. But when you have this mission and you have this, this calling, if you will, this drive to say, no, there is something greater. And I look at someone like yourself uh, really evangelizing and um, being a, a pioneer for something that may still seem a little cutting edge, bleeding edge, but eventually will become the norm because students are asking for it. Society is asking for it. Uh, culture has shifted and it's telling us what you have done is not working. And here you have Nancy is saying, I've been trying to tell you <laughs> that we can't keep doing things the same way. It's not sustainable. And in that same vein, Nancy, I feel the same in my endeavors. Everything that I do, it's, I'm looking for how can we do it better? How can we leave something better for the next generation? And how can we have it in such a way that it's, it's strong enough, it's, it's it's um, uh, secure enough that even in our absence, we've made such a uh, laid such a foundation that people can look back and be able to continue to build on what was started. Absolutely, and you are so right about my life path as well on the visionary front that it does not come without its trials. Especially, interestingly enough, being a, a for-profit company. I think people look at you like you're out to make money, which couldn't be farther from the truth. It's yes, you want you 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 certainly want to earn a good living. You want to be able to pay your employees well, but it's about changing the world. Uh, but to really be innovative in schools, coming up against that status quo is tough. I used to have the tagline "IDE Corp," not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. And and you. Um, Nancy, uh, the, the spirit that you bring is a spirit of being relentless. Uh, I see it in Shanae. I see it in anyone who partners with you. You, you have the focus, you have the, the vision, and you're, you're staying on course. And I think that is the type of spirit that we need in education right now. There's so many teachers for whatever reason, and I'm not minimizing anybody's reason for leaving education because every situation is unique. However, we need individuals like Nancy, like Shanae, you know, that understand like that. Keith. And I'll receive that. <laughs> exactly. I'm a part of that too. Like yes, you are. We, yes, you are. we have, we have to have people that are in it, that the sacrifice, does not deter you from the work. And I've had principals, uh, colleagues of mine, and they literally said, I'm not doing this. It's not worth it. And mm -hmm. so, and I, 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 I'm challenged with that language because I don't feel I have that luxury because uh, for me, I, and this is personal, for me to say that is for me to say that I don't think the students are worth it. And I, and I know that's not what these others are saying, but that's just how I'm wired and connected. To you, yes. Yeah. yeah. So Keith, that takes me back to my youth. Uh, I always thought that I was either gonna be a missionary or I was going to start my own church. Uh, I'm a big fan of God. I'm probably more spiritual than religious because I feel like um, in many cases, organized religions have actually moved away from God and what God really stands for. So, but anyway, I thought that I was going, you know, that's another podcast. We could go on on for another hour on that. Uh, but I really just felt like I was supposed to be starting a church or something. And then one day I realized this is my mission field. This is my church really working, as you said, relentlessly. And thank you for that comment, uh, compliment, 
relentlessly with schools to put students in charge of their own learning, to allow students to, to be creative and solve problems. Because ultimately, we, we work a lot on engagement, empowerment, and efficacy. And efficacy means that a student can leave your building and or your virtual building, if you're a virtual school, and tackle any problem they want to tackle. Solve a problem, tackle a challenge. Like efficacy to me is what schools owe students. And anything less than that means we're failing them. Like fundamentally trying to cram information into students' heads or getting them to learn something so they can regurgitate it on a test so that I can get a good test score and write check. They got that, but they may not retain that for very long. That's failing students. And we do have to get out of our own way in the system of education. Um, because I go back to in my early teaching days when I was teaching through problem-based learning and students taking charge of problems and inventing a design process in the 1970s. You know, my students were all passing the state tests and prior to working with me, they weren't. And when my principal used to ask me why, I was like, I don't know. But of course, I know now it was that they were put in charge of their own learning and they would tackle any problem, including a state test. So I think it is so important that, you know, schools like yours exist because that's exactly what you're doing. You are working within your community and your community work, as well as in the school to put students in charge of their lives and to really build efficacious youngsters. Mm. So kudos to you. Wow. wow. Well, thank you for the, those compliments. I'm just listening to your, your story and it, it's uh, affirming, it's motivating. Um, I think, Nancy, everyone should come to that epiphany at some point. And I, if I do anything well, I want to know that I'm able to uh, encourage that process in people, in students, that they can arrive to the um, epiphany that you came to that, hey, I thought I was going to be a missionary. I thought I may do these things, but that's only probably because that's what was presented to us. And that's what we felt um, defined uh, how we could achieve a certain part of our uh, mission. But when you were able to connect your gifts, your talents with your message, and that in and of itself became the mission and the focus, I'm sure that's where things started to thrive for you and it became fulfilling. And I'm, I'm saying that because that's the same for me. I feel I reach more people in education, even in business and community, not just in the confines of a religious uh, church, I'm touching more people, I think, and more lives, more families. And I think it's so important that educators understand that it is not just a transactional uh, relationship with students. It should be transformational. It should be how are we transforming as a caterpillar goes through metamorphosis and turns into a butterfly, that is the miracle that we should be observing every day when we touch students. Not just handing information, handing a piece of paper, keeping individuals in a box so that they can replicate and duplicate what has been done, but how do we stir the fire or ignite the passion that as you speak passionately about your life as I hopefully am speaking passionately about mine, how do we turn that on in students? Mm. And when I see that, and I see it not as often as I would like, but when I see that, job is done. Because now they are creative juices. That flow that you're talking about, it, it happens. And now the possibilities become infinite. But if I manage and try to manage your creativity and manage your growth in that sense, then I'm robbing the person and I'm even robbing myself from the potential. And so I read a post um, the other day and it said, impossible is written incorrectly and it should be it's possible. And so how do we change that mentality? That's a shift in thinking. 
And everything we do, Nancy, is just really shifting the thinking. How do we shift your thinking? Number one, internally, to know that there is something in you. You have the ability, just because you are part of this human race, you have something good in you. How do we turn that unique thing on so that you can add to the story, you can add to the conversation, you can add to the song, you know, all of those analogies, you know, you do your part. I want you to do your part. I can't do my part or even be my part until you do and become what you have the possibility of becoming. And I think education, if we start thinking about that, and I know we have, right, the, right. you know, politicians and we have legislators and they're, you know, they have to meet certain requirements, you know, because of funding. And, you know, so people are looking for certain things. I think that we put the fruit before the root. Mm. And when we put the fruit before the root, we're looking for those fruit without blemish. But that can't really happen until we get to the root of the matter and the heart of the matter. And that is, let's talk about the individual. And, and something else you mentioned, Nancy, about uh, underserved, I think that's why I'm so passionate about the community that we're in. Many of the charter school leaders ask, why did you choose Bishopville? Like, why, why in rural South Carolina? You should go to uh, a larger city or go to Columbia, go to Charleston, Greenville, where there's a, a bigger economy. And I think that's the injustice to the potential that is in each of the students that we serve. Because I don't look at the community just for the businesses, but it's the people that make up the community. And so how do we create opportunities for them to, first of all, travel in their mind, travel with, through creativity, travel through technology? You know, I, you know, I think of stories the first time we took a trip, you know, three hours uh, within our state. And some of the students had never, uh, they've never left the city, Bishopville. Right. And they're like, oh, wow, look at the ocean. And it really wasn't the ocean. It was one of the rivers that <laughs> flows through, but they thought, oh, wow, look at the ocean. Right. And so, you know, you know, just, just being a part of that experience that students were able to see something that they may not have been able to see, except we created that being a part of that experience and a part of uh, uh, seeing students uh, able to see what they may not have been able to see if except we created that opportunity. That's a rewarding experience. Even when we went to a, our sister city here in the Carolinas in Charlotte and they saw the big tall buildings and the skyscrapers and they're like ooing and aahing. And I'm like, this is what education is about. How do we create more oohs and ahs, you know, and those those wow moments. All right. Now keep you you have just dropped a bunch of Keithisms over here that I'm. Keithisms, okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm taking notes on, uh, and and I plan on quoting you on some of these. One, and I think they're worth repeating. One, you talked about the purpose of school is to really change the caterpillar into a butterfly and create a metamorphosis, and I think it's about changing students, not just about advancing their bank of knowledge, but it's about changing them. And I'm going to be interviewing upcoming um, Nadia Lopez. I don't know if you are familiar with her at all, but she, her tagline in, in um, LinkedIn is I opened a school to close a prison. And so oh, I'm definitely wow. uh, planning to use your caterpillar to butterfly, butterfly metamorphosis in my interview with her. You also said too often we put the fruit before the root. Wow, what a wonderful metaphor, the imagery in there. And it is so true. We get so focused on what we want to get out that we try and, and get it out directly as opposed to strengthening the roots that would allow fruit to just be flourishing. That's I love so my awesome. <laughs> And then, of course, I go ahead. Well, I, I, I'm just tickled that you call it Keithisms, but, I, you know, this, 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 is, this is funny, but I, I like that you're able to, you're, you're, it's resonating with you. And I think that's why, you know, this podcast and when we get together, it's always a good flow because you get it, you get it. And I don't, I don't really know what happened in your life and I really don't know what happened in my life. I can't maybe pinpoint one thing, 
how do we get other people, Nancy, to get that? You know, that that's one of the questions that if we could answer, I think we could maybe change the world, maybe. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what we're trying to do, right, is figure out how, because it is true. I'll talk with someone who, uh, we, we design learner active technology infused classrooms. And every now and then, not often, every now and then we have a client who wants to stop that work. And it baffles me every time. It's like, wait, you've put students in charge of their own learning. They're excited about coming to school. Your attendance is up. Your test scores are up. And what? why is it again you want to stop this work? Well, and it's usually not funding. It's, it's that it, it really is hard to get that you are on a road of metamorphosis. And probably as a leader, that can be scary. It can be risky. I'm a big risk taker, so it's easy for me. But if you're not a big risk taker, it could be like, all right, all right, all right. I, I, I just, you know, like, like put the brakes on. Um, by the way, I, I can't take responsibility for Keith isms. I recently recorded a podcast that was a tribute to Willis Spicer, who is a former uh, deputy commissioner of education in New Jersey. And a group of her friends were on there and they said that they wanted to share her Willa-isms. And <laughs> like you, she would just drop at a moment's notice some profound statement, imagery, metaphor that would make you go, wow, like it really drives home the point. So I think you and she, in terms of both being very visionary people, have a lot in common. So I had a, I had a, I'm now dubbing them your Keithisms, and I'm going to keep a, a list throughout the rest of the time that I know you, my friend. Uh, I also like that you said, isn't the job of education for us to create the oohs and ahs? So true. Uh, all right. So, uh, you know, we could go on this line forever because you and I are the mutual admiration society, I think. Uh, I know that this week, uh, Nicole Koch, who is our vice president of client relations, she sends out a weekly email. So you may have gotten it. Uh, and it, it, this time she was talking about International Women's Day and she wanted to give a shout out to the woman who started ID in the first place. Oh, you're right. That's me. But what was cute was she had me find an old picture from when I was 12 and I'm standing there with my group of students who are all holding up their diplomas from Nancy's summer school. And <laughs> so my roots in education go deep. You know, I wanted to be a, a teacher from the time I was five years old. I was school phobic. I didn't want to go to kindergarten. It was awful. And we ended up moving uh, and because they were going to the state that we lived in had compulsory kindergarten. I was going to have to repeat kindergarten. And my father just thought I was too smart. So we moved and we moved to a state that didn't require kindergarten. So I, uh, to the dismay of many kindergarten teachers, I say that, you know, uh, I actually succeeded in life without kindergarten. <laughs> Terrible thing. We might have to cut that out. Um, but we, we moved and I, and I completed one month of kindergarten, but that teacher made such a difference. I, I literally could see the way she was dealing with me to address my needs. And I thought at five years old, I said like, wow, she changed my life. I want to be her. I need to be a teacher. And so my path uh, moved on. And in terms of my entrepreneurial side, because obviously I, I became a teacher, but my real passion was then going out and starting a consulting business to change education. And I remember, uh, you know, when I was about eight years old, you could find me walking down the street with my little red wagon selling things from my house to, to the neighborhood. And every now and then my mom would say, what happened to my, you know, red scarf? And I'd say like, oh, I sold that. <laughs> so my entrepreneurial roots go deep. So there has to be some stories, moments, something in your young Keith Bailey life that foreshadowed where you are today. So share. I, I, I think so. Now to, to hear you, I started thinking of thinking back. Um, one thing you said, I wanted to, to make a point. You said that one teacher made such a difference in my life that it really, really changed the trajectory of your, of, of your life. Like you, we're now set on a different path. He's starting at that moment. 
And I can remember, Nancy, uh, if I fast forward in high school, I had one teacher, English teacher, and she, to this day, is my most favorite teacher. And I um, would get an, uh, an email from her on occasion, and she will start, this is your most favorite teacher. And so that means, like, whatever I ask you, you have to do. And uh, great tactic. <laughs> right. So I remember sitting in her classroom. And at that point, and I know people think that I love to talk. I really don't talk much. But she looked at me and saw something that I couldn't see in myself. And so you talk about the power of a, a teacher and education. She saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. And she started to, in her way, pull that out. And she started presenting opportunities, public speaking. She said, you should run for student government. And she just started putting all of these things. I'm like, me? Why me? And so uh, long story short, she started mentoring me. And uh, even when I felt like I was having a bad day and I intentionally, and I say that on purpose, I intentionally just to see if she was, was taking notice would not make eye contact. And so at the end of the class, I can just remember her as I passed her desk, tapping on the desk and said, Keith, I didn't see your eyes today. I'm like, oh, she noticed. And I'm thinking, That's so that, isn't that powerful? Yes. So, yes. I, and I hear that even with our students. I had one student here and, uh, and I noticed he had on the wrong dress code. Um, or shirt for dress code, or didn't meet dress code. And so I talked to him about it, and he said um, to me, and this is probably bad, but I'm gonna say it on record on the podcast. <laughs> he said, well, I've been wearing this and nobody else said anything. Nobody noticed is what he said. And it took me back to that story that I just shared, and I'm thinking, he did that on purpose. Right. To say, is anybody noticing me? And I'm like, how did this happen here? And he had some other uh, situations going on, but that further affirms the fact that students are, they know they have something to give or they know that there's purpose somewhere. They just don't have the language. And our job is to help them identify their personal language by looking at the language and experiences of others. So not to do what has been done per se, but to use that as a blueprint to say, this is what others went through. This is what they've done. This is how they um, were able to uh, overcome obstacles, challenges, et cetera. Now, what part of their story can you, that resonates with you or can resonate with you to stir that level of creativity so you can build your own? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think about that every day, like how can I, find that one button that'll turn on that thing that we say they got it, whatever it is. Oh, they got it. You know, uh, how do we push, keep pushing the right button to stir that type of uh, revelation, if you will, in students. But I do think about that. And I, and I look at my son. So I have three boys. My twins are part of this graduating class, by the way. And one of them, uh, is an aspiring educator. And I'm telling you, he reminds me of myself and and uh, the other boys, the, his twin and my youngest who is in the eighth grade, uh, this is several years ago. Uh, and they said they did not like school. We was like, well, why do you not like school? They said, because they are tired of school because they leave school and then they have to come home to more school with their brother. And so, and so, so you talk about aspiring educator. He is, he's always taught the animals and stuffed toys exactly. and, and, and he would force his brothers to sit in his classroom. And, uh, and so I see myself in him because that's how I learned to teach myself. Mm. I would pretend to be the teacher and I was my only student, but that's some, because I'm a, such a visual person, I have to see it in order to become it. And I have to see right. it in order for it to resonate with me. And so at, in that vein, 
and which is probably why I use a lot of metaphors, I'm always seeing some picture in my head and I'm trying to describe that picture so that you can connect more deeply than I really can express because I don't think there, there are enough words in the dictionary to really express what we see and what we feel and which is why it takes a lifetime to know a Nancy like I cannot know you in one podcast. Or, you know, it would take a lifetime, right? You're evolving. We're evolving. Students are evolving. I'm the very person complex. I, right. <laughs> right. Aren't, aren't we all, right? So how, this is why we have to have many types of relationships. Not one person mm -hmm. can handle all of us. We're right. too complex. We're too awesome. We're too great. There's just too much goodness in us that not one person can handle all of us. So we have to have Keith, several you think we overwhelm people? I think so. <laughs> I always say people either love me or hate me. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's true, you know, because um, this, is, this is what my parents would say. I'm either going to draw you or I'm going to drive you. And so mm -hmm. it depends on your position. It, it depends on really your comfort with yourself and sometimes people's insecurity, Nancy, and I'm just gonna toot our horns. Sometimes it's the insecurities and in others is the reason why they can't embrace uh, your creativity. It's not anything to do with us because yes, people may like a different type of cuisine. They may have a different color choice, but that should not deter me to try to dim that light in them because they see the world in a different way. It should be that we are able to uh, ride on the power of that uniqueness and become better in our own uh, path. If I am really able to understand who you are, what you're about, and how you see the world, it shouldn't intimidate me. It should only strengthen me. Either I'm going to learn something from you, either I'm going to be affirmed by something that I've heard or seen, or it's going to challenge me in my life to either grow at a place or space to be able to comprehend something that I've not really had a part of my thinking or my conversation before I met this mm -hmm. new person. And mm -hmm. so that's the complexity of life and relationships. And, and that's, you can't teach that. You can't and just put fun. that in a box. And it's the fun of it, right? So, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's who exactly. we are, it's who we are. You know, you triggered a story in me from my early days of uh, wanting to be a teacher when I was in my early teens, I guess, and I'm a, a shout out to my best friend in middle school, Martina Silas, who is now an attorney out in California, although I think she just retired. Apparently people are supposed to do that at my age. I just didn't get the memo. But I remember when we were kids, we would play school and we would take all the stuffed animals. And in my basement, I had a open basement, but then there was also a bedroom in the basement. And what we would do is we set up schedules for all of our stuffed animals. And they would, you know, we would ring a bell and half of the animals would go into the one room with me and half of the animals would stay in the room with her. We would independently teach the animals for 45 minutes, ring a bell, shift them into their next class. And I, I used to laugh that we played like all day with one another and never saw one another because we were teachers in other classrooms. So. <laughs> Definitely so prepared that, me for my life as a teacher. Right. That was uh, that was uh, sort of like a uh, a premonition for what was to come. So you <laughs> you exactly. were you were practicing then for what you actually uh, uh, developed in, in later in life, and I see that too. I see that too. Yeah, that's funny. So I know you've probably already dropped some insights here. You authored a book called Just Be: Discovering the Real You. And in it, you point out that most of us spend time looking for the answers externally, but the answers are actually within us. And all you need to do is just be. So share with our listeners one of your insights from that fabulous book, Just Be. Well, I appreciate that. Um, that's, that, that, that book is, there, there's a lot of truths in that book that I still live by that is the core of how I see the world. And when you quote the part of the book where I talk about most people looking externally versus internally, 
I fundamentally believe that everybody is equipped with the tools um, or the abilities that they need to succeed in their particular assignment in life. But oftentimes people rob themselves from that process of becoming because they are looking externally at others comparing or either following the status quo. We talked about an education, doing what has been done, but never really tapping into that well of, of, of uh, goodness and creativity within themselves. And I think everybody's, everybody's voice is unique. It's so unique. So I, as I mentioned earlier, I was in biometrics. So there's so, such uniqueness, right, in each of us that the biometrics can even determine who we are based on how our voice sounds, just like your fingerprint. Wow. Even in, uh, there's technology that can look at the gait, how people walk, and everybody has a unique gait. That's how unique we are, right? And even a unique odor, and I know that sounds it can sound pretty weird, but <laughs> right. Everybody has their own unique odor. And so in all of those examples, that's really what I'm talking about when I talk about just be. You're so unique. And if you are the person that only looks to others to define yourself, you rob the world of that uniqueness. And I feel that's my uh, calling, if you will, is to um, stir, to aggravate even and frustrate the process, to stir that person to say, hey, let me pull out of what has been placed inside of me. And so just B talks about even looking at ourselves internally, looking at those insecurities, because those insecurities, I believe, are false truths, if you will, and I hope I'm not getting too deep and, and mystical and <laughs> metaphysical here, but <laughs> when, you, when you think about the, um, you know, those insecurities, it's tied to some idea or picture in that person. And if they can change that videotape in their minds, if they can change that voice, if they can change those, that, that negative self-talk and shift it to something positive, shift it to something that is more truthful. Uh, when I say truthful, meaning not necessarily factual. There are some factual things that have taken place in our lives, but the truth of the matter is that everybody is here for a reason, for a purpose, for a cause, which is my opinion and belief. Mm -hmm. But if you, if, you, if you follow that line of thought, then now experiences don't necessarily have to define you. The experiences can now help develop you. It's just the weights in the weight room. It's the, it's the friction that we use to drive on a highway. It's, it's, it's the, the necessary evils, if you will, to force, for lack of a better word, to, to help um, drive my focus to what is more meaningful until it becomes, and I'm going to use the IDE word, a felt need or felt desire, <laughs> you know, until, until it becomes so a part of you that you just be who you've been called to be. And that's where the peace is. That's where the happiness is. It can't be bought. It can't be taught. You just have to be it. And that's a process. You just can't just be overnight, but you learn to just be. When you get to a certain age, like I look at my parents, they are in their just be stage. Like I can say what I feel without hesitation, reservation, or regret. Because you want to get to that place and space and stage of your life that you're living life without regret. And that's what just be is all about, is how do I learn to do that and be that and be comfortable with, number one, loving myself before I attempt to love someone else. I cannot truly love others until I've learned to love myself, love the skin that I'm in, love the experiences that I've been given and learn to create whatever soup that is created from those experiences 
And that's what I'm going to use as fuel to become the best me that I can be. I love that. Now I have another Keithism, you know, just keep, create the soup. Um, <laughs> all right. So this has been fascinating. And anyone who wants to hear more of those Keithisms, you, you know, uh, you could just Google it. The book is Just Be, Discovering the Real You. And Keith, let's unwrap the learning here. What's one takeaway that you want educators, parents, community members to know in order to help students move from that caterpillar to butterfly? What advice do you want to leave them with? Wow. So I would say to any educator, parent, I think we all are leaders. How can you, and I'm going to use one of our uh, techniques that we've learned from IDE. How do we become the, the, the guide on the side? <laughs> you know, how do you help others by being the support system alongside them, but not trying to control them, not just the sage on the stage? Well, none of us know everything, but how do you... Um, teach others to do this as well, and that is to learn how to live by the collective intelligence of those in their circle. And so I think I'll stop with that because I, it, that's a loaded question, but learning how to live on the collective intelligence of others, I think that's a skill mm. that many of us don't use and don't take advantage of. But if we can learn to do that, we can accelerate uh, how we are productive and even accelerate how we heal and how we uh, just do better in life. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Keith Bailey, pdmsta.org, right? pdmsta.org. Yeah. You can find more about him there and obviously in his book, Just Be, and on LinkedIn and other favorite places. So Keith, Every, we don't get together often, but every time we do, it's it's quite an enriching experience. Thank you for sharing your spirit and soul with me here today for this uh, time period. Well, thanks, Nancy, again for having me. And uh, I see you as a, a leader and as a mentor. And I just want to say thank you for uh, doing what you've done over the years and helping educators across the world know that there is a method to the madness and that there's uh, just a wealth of, of uh, opportunities out there if we allow ourselves to move away from those traditional things sometimes that restrict us. But again, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.